This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hey everyone, welcome back to Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host, Jason Kim. And today's episode is on the city of Bucharest. Now, for those who don't know, Bucharest is the capital of Romania. And let's be honest, not a lot of, not a lot of us know that much about Bucharest or even Romania as a whole. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought it was kind of weird that I talk about like all these cities that are not participating or their home nation is not participating in the Euros. In this case, Romania didn't qualify for the Euros, but they did last last tournament the same way same thing with azerbaijan they didn't qualify but turkey is sort of become their proxy team or what what have you or prox or turkey used azerbaijan or baku as their proxy home if you will but in the case of romania i don't know there's no other country that could really call romania home or as a second home and besides if you know a little bit about balkan history in that region uh you know i don't think I mean, historically, I don't think a lot of them get along with each other. But maybe today, today is definitely different. Maybe no one cares as much today. But historically speaking, no. So why am I saying this? Why am I bringing this up? Well, given the fact that it is a Euro special, I want to talk more about the games. And especially introduce the venue where these games are happening. And then talk about the recent game that occurred at this venue. So in this case, the city of Bucharest, their stadium, the Bucharest Arena Nacional, or Nacionala, as, as was written on Wikipedia... I'll talk about that as the venue, what's happened there, or what big game has happened recently there. And then I'll move on talking about the game itself, of course. But before we get to that, uh, I just want to bring up certain uh, keynote things uh, about Bucharest that I've come across. So not just Bucharest, but also Romanian culture that I've come across that I thought it was worth. And I think, as I said earlier, when you think of Romania, you don't really, not a lot comes to your mind, you know. Uh, you're probably thinking of like that stereotypical image of post-Soviet country that's all gray and dilapidated and outdated and it's been the same since the 80s, you know. Or when you think of Romania, if you know a little more, you probably think of like, like Dracula, castles, uh, dark green forests, there, ancient forests, mi- uh, mystical mountains or mythical creatures. You think of fairy tale stuff when you think of Romania sometimes, especially with the association of Dracula. As someone who has Romanian friends, I promise you they find that very annoying. <laughs> they they enjoy the idea that, yeah, you know, Romania is famous for this thing called Dracula, like a mythical story or what have you. But, you know, there's more to that country. They want, from the Romanians that I've known, that I know personally, they are very proud of where they're from. Not only proud, they talk about, you know, how their wine's great, their cheese is great. They, they claim that everything they do is, in terms of food, is amazing. Well, maybe not everything, but definitely the wine. I've heard them say that Romanian wine is underappreciated. I never had, but I take the word for it. And by the way, when you do when you do a quick Google search of Romania, you will hundred percent get pictures of Transylvanian castles and fairy tale villages. So already, are at least in in Western North America, that's definitely how whatever comes up on Google is definitely how our society perceives that country for sure. But then when you Google Bucharest, not Romania, but you Google its capital. I was stunned to see how beautiful the city is. I mean, when I do some more research, they are called sort of like the uh, the little Paris of the Balkans. And it makes sense because some of those white buildings look like some of those white buildings in, in, you know, in Paris. And it's beautiful. You know, when you think of the Balkan region, Balkan region, you know, I guess being between Austria to Turkey, you know, and Greece and, you know, that region. 
<laughs> I say that region, that region right next to Italy, to its right, if you will. You know, when we look at the, when we look at the Balkans, we only think of, of Croatia and Greece most of the time because of how beautiful those two countries are, and how open to how famous those countries are for travelers and tourists alike. And we don't think of Romania. I only had one friend who backpack travel through Romania and he told me it was probably one of his most uh his most memorable trip that he's ever done because he was properly backpacking to places where he didn't speak Romanian didn't speak the language but he got along and he said he had you know was shown around smaller towns and villages and he said it was an incredible cultural experience and he he seemed quite happy quite content and it seemed like in his in his mind it was uh he finally understood why Romanians are so proud of their country and the one thing that I've gathered that Romanians would always bring up all the time is that they are a part of the Romance language. They, <laughs> Romanians are very proud of their language and culture for sure. But people forget that this is also, they used to be a part of the Roman Empire. My Romanian friends always bring this up. They would say their grammar is exactly the same, not exactly, but the most closely resembling the grammar of Latin. So phonetically... The, the modern language today that sounds the most like Latin is Italian, but the language that has the most common grammar with Latin is Romanian. In fact, I think Romania kept pretty much the same grammatical uh, structure and rules as, as the Latins and you know the Romans did with Latin. And we often forget that because they're sort of surrounded by all these uh, Slavic languages and whatnot. Anyway, that's a fun linguistic fact. But the more you dig through Romania, you realize that, oh, this is, you know, there's a lot to learn. I don't want to speak more to it because I feel like that's something that I want to travel to and experience myself one day. And also for the purpose of the show, I want to get to the soccer, if you will. So Bucharest uh, Arena Nacionala, which is the uh, national stadium. This is a new stadium that opened in 2011 and it, and it can hold 55,000 people. There's not much to say about the venue given, you know, it's a young age. However, the most notable match was against France for the Euros in 2012 qualifiers. Well, what I mean was Romania played France for the Euro 2012 qualifiers, which ended in nil-nil, 0-0. And there was another game here where Romania played against the Netherlands in the 2014 World Cup qualifiers, and they lost to the Netherlands 4-1, which is, you know, it's a big loss. And also, Romania is not a soccer powerhouse. That's something that's worth mentioning. However, they did beat Hungary, their neighbors, uh, to the east Romania did beat Hungary 3-0 4 and then during the 2014 World Cup qualifiers and obviously they didn't I don't think they made it to the World Cup and finally they lost to Spain for the Euro 2020 qualifiers so for this Euro for this one they failed to qualify and one of those reasons is that they lost to Spain 1-2 or 2-1 against Spain anyway my impression of Romania when it comes to soccer is not much. I mean, there's not much to go on. I, I think the one thing I can remember about Romania is their loss to France in the opening matches of the last Euros in 2016, where it ended 1-0 for France, and they the goal was scored by Dimitri Payet from like a beautiful curling shot to the top corner, like outside the box. It was an incredible goal. It was tough luck for Romania because they played well. They held France at bay, and they were going to get out of that match like a nil-nil draw, but it didn't go their way. <clears throat> but anyway, so the stadium itself, the Bucharest Arena Nacionala, is pretty new. Its history is still developing, of course. And I feel like Romanian history and culture is very old. So I, it's, it wouldn't be fair to say that Romanian history is still developing. I mean, every single country's history is still developing. But when it comes to football, I think that's very much the case for Romania, where they've yet to make a strong impact. There could be someone who could, you know, 
find a deep cup sink. And look at all these great Romanian players that have, you know, graced the game. Of course, there's a list out there. But as someone who knows quite a bit about soccer, who watches a lot of it, I will for sure have blind spots. However, with Romania, I could definitely comfortably say that there's nothing that pops up for sure. Are there names I'm forgetting? A thousand percent. But Romania doesn't scream a soccer powerhouse. When you look into, again, into the region of Europe where Romania finds itself, the power, soccer powerhouses are definitely Serbia, Croatia, Greece, maybe. Well, yeah, Greece, they, depending on the generation. Uh, Hungary is definitely up there. You know, like it's, it's, these are great countries when you come, when you think about the kind of players they produce. Albania is a good one as well. So Romania has a lot of competition with its neighbors for sure. So fun fact, as I was doing research on the Bucharest Arena uh, Nacional Stadium, it turns out that Celine Dion will be performing here in her Courage World Tour in 2023. That's in three, two years from now. So post-COVID, look out for Celine Dion tickets at Bucharest. That might be a fun trip for you and your family, of course. <laughs> anyway, so let's get on to the game. I was debating between these two games I want to talk about that happened at this stadium, which is... The first one being Austria versus North Macedonia way back in the group stage. Way back though, it was like two weeks ago. There's so much soccer happening. This game happened like a week and a half ago. So Austria versus North Macedonia. Or I was going to talk about Netherlands versus Czech Republic. And I thought, let's talk about the most recent game. In the round of 16, Netherlands versus Czech Republic. For those who watched it, uh, I think a lot of you may have had your jaw dropped of what happened. Nothing major. It was just like a bad bad red card on the Dutch side. The game ended 2-0 for uh, the Czech Republic. And uh, for the Czech Republic, it was scored by Thomas Holish and Patrick uh, Schick. I probably said those names wrong. But anyway, when I, so I was talking about how Romania, when you think of Romania, nothing kind of jumps at you in terms of player names or, or events. But with the Czech Republic, before this game, I think hands down the most famous player that we everyone agrees that came out of the Czech Republic is definitely... Peter Cech himself. Peter Cech was a goalkeeper for Chelsea, and he was like a legendary goalkeeper, especially for the helmet he wore. He wore that leather head helmet because I think he got a concussion or something. And he's a goalkeeper. So, and you have the Netherlands, the Czech Republic versus Netherlands. I think for most people, they would put their money on the Netherlands. They're a good team. Memphis Depay, Gini Wijnaldum, they're great. They're solid. Uh, Matthijs De Ligt, uh, Frankie De Jong, there's a... Malin and Dumfries. It's a young team that is very promising. No Van Dyke, unfortunately. And I feel like if Van Dyke had been playing at this tournament, different story. 100% different story. This Dutch team would be a monster. However, as I was talking to the people from the Derby cast, the AK in particular, was saying the reason why the Dutch won't go so far is that they don't have a proper striker. And it's true. When you think about the Netherlands going into this game against the Czech Republic, their top goal scorer is Gini Wijnaldum, their midfielder, center midfielder. He's captain. As a Liverpool player, as a Liverpool fan, rather, I love Gini Wijnaldum, and I think he's an incredible footballer. Him going to Barcelona makes sense. I think it's a good trade or a good, or a good acquisition for Barcelona. However, if your center mid is your top goal scorer, you should be slightly concerned as coach or as fan because that says a lot about your forwards. They're not scoring as much or they're not finishing the opportunities as much. Some may argue that a lot of Wijnaldum's goals are like rebounds or lucky opportunities. Yeah, sure, but you want your forwards to be able to get those, you know. You want them to get the rebounds. You want them to find those lucky opportunities in getting one. But at the same time, it's, there's no point of being picky if your team is winning. But if you want to be critical about the Dutch, about the Netherlands, 
mm, they're missing that killer striker. Maybe Stevie Bergwijn could have been that, but you know, I think he's injured. Van Dijk is injured as well. So it's, it's too bad for the Dutch to lose to the Czech Republic. That's a, definitely a big upset. And Mat- Matthijs De Ligt, he, he, got a, he got a red card at 55th minute. And he handled the ball. He just touched, like, he was falling to the ground and the ball was, like, right beneath him. And he sort of, like, scoops the ball away from the opposition player. And it was very obvious. And obviously, the, at first, the ref runs to him, gives him a yellow. Then it goes to VAR to check. And then finally gives him the red card. Justifiably so. Like, De Ligt, he's, you know comes out the Ajax Youth Academy, one of the best soccer youth academies in the world. If you come out of that Ajax Youth Academy, you're going to be good. You're going to be very, at least a highly technical player who can operate at a high level. And he also plays for one of the best Italian clubs ever, Juventus. And he's doing stuff like this, which is like, it's disappointing because you are a high caliber player. I should not expect you, especially him, a center back of all people, to intentionally use your hand while falling like... A, at least if you didn't want the opposition to win that ball, at least make your body fall on the ball so you don't get the the right card. You know, they've already conceded a goal. Well, I mean, they didn't concede a goal yet at this point, but you're still... It, the red card's not worth it. Red, red card is almost guarantees that your team is going to lose. So to me, that was the biggest disappointment from the Netherlands. Is, is You know, we can say that he's young, but at the same time, it's like, come on, man. Anyway, it is what it is. It's tough luck. I really like the Dutch. But I think that their tournament, it won't be the Euros. It'll be the World Cup. And then today, Portugal also lost to Belgium. I think I'll, I'll talk about that at the end. I think that's also important. I know that's not really the Bucharest, but that, that was a big game. However, for the Czech Republic, you know what? I'm happy for them. No one has had them in the books. No one has had them as favorites to win this match. The fact they're making it a quarterfinal is a big deal. And it's uh, it's exciting. And and they're definitely cementing themselves as the dark horse that no one saw them coming. And here they are beating the Netherlands convincingly. Yes, they had 10-man squad, but the way they scored those goals, the, even before the goal, the Czech Republic was knocking at the door in the Netherlands. And it was a, they're a good team. Thomas Suchek, West Ham God. He's another sentiment that could score a lot of goals. Patrick Schick is starting to solidify himself as a top, top player. Plays for Bayer Leverkusen. And I, I was just watching the Portugal-Belgium game with some friends. And then one of them was telling me how... Shout out to Anthony. Yeah, he was saying he was with Roma. Roma bought him for, I think, like 50 mil or something like that. And then he was loaned out to Bayer Leverkusen. And I guess in Roma, he was seen as a flop. It didn't work well. But look at him now with the Czech Republic. Scoring a halfway... Scoring an incredible goal against Scotland to begin with. And then scoring a pivotal goal here against the knockout the Netherlands effectively. You know, this guy, uh, he's in transfer value. I think transfer market, he's worth 26 million euros at Bayer Leverkusen. This guy's value is going to skyrocket. And if you're a soccer fan and maybe a soccer nerd, maybe Patrick Schick should be the player that we start paying attention to a little closely because he's been very impressive this tournament. If I can tie this back to Romania, and what is Romania missing to get their soccer-ness or their soccer prowess, you know, let's say at the same level the Czech Republic, to me, it's always clear for any country, you need a superstar. You need that one freak talent that just breaks out and puts your country on the map. With Canada, we can argue that that started with Alfonso Davies where people started looking at Canada saying, if this guy is in Canada, Alfonso Davies, how many other players are there Are there in Canada waiting to be discovered? And I think that's what Romania is missing. Obviously, it gets more complicated. There's a lot to consider. Is the Romanian government willing to give some money to the Romanian Football Association to invest more 
and to younger children and to a future generation of Romanian footballers, there's that to consider. And that's definitely going to be helpful where the government can, you know, give you a financial space where you can make things happen. So for me, when I see Patrick Schick doing so well for the Czech Republic, I, I promise you that the interest in soccer within the Czech Republic would increase even more. Yes, if, a lot of that could uh, is associated with the, with, the Czech, with the Czech winning this big round of 16 knockout round versus the Netherlands. But it also takes individual people to inspire people to pick up a ball and go play and say, like, I want to play like Patrick Schick. For me growing up, it was always Zidane, Ronaldo, or Messi. And that's what Romania needs. They just need that one superstar player to break out and, you know, and put them, you know, put their country on the map. And another game that happened that happened today, right after the Netherlands Czech Republic game, was uh, Portugal Belgium. I want to talk about this game. I know it's not related to to Bucharest, but I f- it was it's such a big game that was worth mentioning. And it was also a very fascinating game to watch because it was two very highly top tier level players going at it. Belgium and Portugal, like on paper, these this team is disgustingly good, very good. For Portugal not to score this game was quite surprising, and it's um. And it's just, I don't know, like, when I watch the game, the Portuguese didn't seem... There's elements of talent there. I just, it's, to me, it seems like what's wrong with the Portuguese is their manager. And he doesn't seem to get the best out of some players. Because everyone on paper is an incredible player. I just, I think he just fails to make an an ecosystem that works for everyone. Where everyone's best talents are shining through, you know? Don't worry about Ronaldo. You put him anywhere and he'll kill it. Obviously, anyone in the forward positions. But you got to think about how am I going to balance that with Diogo Jota, Bernardo Silva, Jean-Felix, Andre Silva, uh, Bruno Fernandes. I mean, there's there's more players and you got to balance all that talent. Whereas Belgium, it's pretty much been the same squad since 2014, more or less. Replaced maybe a handful of players here and there. Some players retire, new players have come up. But this Belgium side seem like they're out for blood. However, I'm concerned about Kevin De Bruyne picking up that injury. Because Kevin De Bruyne is arguably, not arguably, in my opinion, is the best midfielder in the world right now. That's it. There's no, there's, there's no ends, ifs, and buts. Kevin De Bruyne is incredible. He's been incredible for many years, maintained a high level of consistency. But you got to watch this guy play. So if you're watching Belgium, Lukaku is fun to watch. Carrasco is fun to watch. Eden Hazard, Thorgan Hazard, the brothers. Those, are guys, those guys are incredible to watch. But Kevin De Bruyne is inspirational to watch because he's that good. He makes the game look artistic. He reminds you so much of what Zidane was like, except he has this, he has this killer instinct that I feel like Zidane didn't have. You know, like it, anyway, it's hard to say, but you just gotta watch him. And sticking with the Portugal Belgium, just one more point. Too bad for Cristiano Ronaldo. He is equal now or tied for the most international goals scored for the men's division, or the men's game rather, beating Ali Adi, the uh, the the Iranian player who held the record. Ronaldo, you know, equaled him, and I feel like. I don't think this is the last tournament. I feel like the the World Cup will be Ronaldo's very last tournament because that's a fairy book a fairy book way of ending your career. But also the guy's physique, if you still look at it today, is incredible. He could keep playing for another five years, man. Like he's he's a genetic beast. And so for the next game that's happening in Bucharest, uh, moving past Portugal Belgium, the Portugal Belgium game, the next big game happening in Bucharest will be between France and Switzerland. I think that's gonna be a great game. I'm going to use this uh, few minutes to talk about what I how I think this game is going to come out as. France is going to win. <laughs> let's, let's just end it there. France is going to win. 
not to say Switzerland is bad, but they're not great. Uh, France is incredible. Every position is a very talented player. And every position has a bench player who is also equally talented. This France side is 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 incredible. It's spoiled and, and not spoiled, but I mean uh, bountiful and talents, if you will. What Benzema, Griezmann, and Mbappé as a front three is 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 working out really well. Everyone's liking that. Pogba and Conte as the two center mids is is a dream combination combination to watch. Anyway, I think it's obvious who's gonna win. France is gonna win, but I do think the Swiss are gonna put in at least one goal or two. So I'm gonna call it a three-one win for France or two-one win. But if the Swiss beat the France at the round of sixteen, that would be a very, very, very big upset. And whoever put money on France will be very upset. But whoever put money on Switzerland will be very happy. I don't bet, but if you do, that's you. Anyway, I think that's it for this episode of Soccer Pilgrim. Thank you for listening. I know we didn't spend a lot of time talking about Bucharest, but I did. I realized that maybe I want to talk a little more about the Euros itself. I'll mention the stadiums that I think they're important. But right now, a lot of the stadiums that are chosen for this um, for this Euros, I'm realizing that it has a young history because they're looking for new stadiums that could fit, accommodate rather, that many fans. Well, this they planned all this before COVID, of course, but... So some of these stadiums are relatively new and have a young history, but then you get stadiums like Wembley or Hampton Park that have rich history and that are worth exploring and talking about. So that being said, we're going to move from Bucharest to a nearby city for next episode, and that'll be Budapest. Bucharest to Budapest in Hungary. And that's something that I think in the last two Euros, the Hungarian fans has really captured the imagination of some of uh, the more neutral fans where we didn't really have an idea of... Eastern European fans, but the Hungarian fans seem to be quite exciting. So that's for next episode. So once again, don't forget to subscribe to Soccer Pilgrim on Instagram, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any other podcast streaming platform. And you could follow my own personal face, my own personal Instagram account at Jason underscore Jisoo G I S O O. And we release a podcast every Monday and Wednesday. So. Stay tuned for that for this season of the Euros, that is. We release every Monday and Wednesday. So once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for being an audience. And my name is Jason Kim from Montreal. This is Soccer Pilgrim. Thank you.